Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for making time to join us this morning and to set aside some time in worship and in reflection on what's going on in and around the church and in our community and really in your life as well. I want to thank Pastor Kevin for your great work in pivoting our student ministry. And thank you to Chip and your family for an awesome song there. If you have a chance later on on social media to thank them or connect with them or to text them, please do that. Let them know what you thought of that song. I was really encouraged. Thank you guys so much. But I also want to thank you. If you're a regular member, a tender um, guest at Grace Point Church, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your resolve in sticking with us through this challenging season. It has really meant a lot to me and to our staff and to our elders at Grace Point. Thank you for adjusting with us as we all have had to go through a period of adjustment in this pandemic. And you know, speaking of adjustments and resolve and sticking with it, I do think that that narrative is something that our country, our community really celebrates. We love the fighters, the people who don't go down without a fight, the people who keep going. We love the Rocky movies, right? all of them. We love the Philly special when the Eagles took down the mighty Patriots in the Super Bowl and just kept fighting. You know, we love people even like my grandma, all five foot four of her maybe, who even when I was a teenager in high school wanted to show me her little, you know, spunk and fight within her and would pick me up in her kitchen as like a 16 or 17 year old just to say, ah, hey Tim, I love you. Good to see you. And that little fight within her to say, I'm not going to give up and give in to old age. We love that little spark that people have. And it's within each one of us. It's designed by God, I think. And it's a great characteristic to have. We love to teach it to our kids right now, right? Like, don't give up fighting, kids, for the things that matter. For accountability, for responsibility, for character, for faith, for kindness, for these things that matter. We want our kids, right? to fight for the things that really matter in this world. And fighting for the right things is a good thing, but sometimes we find ourselves actually fighting with God. If you've ever found yourself in that space, I know I have. And we especially find ourselves fighting with God when there seems to be things that are happening that we can't understand. When we find ourselves asking the question, why God is this happening? And particularly God, why are you silent when you could be speaking, why is this happening? Can you please explain this to me? There enters a battle in our heart and soul about understanding why is it that God allows what he could prevent. And one of the things I'd like to talk to you about this morning is this space in here of how God is sometimes silent when he could be speaking and what the silence of God teaches us about who he is and who we are right now. And one of the things I've become convinced of is that because we will never surrender without a fight, that God uses silence to get our attention. Again, I'll say it again, that because we will never surrender without a fight, that God sometimes has to use silence to get our attention. What a strange idea. But it's an idea that makes sense if you understand that God's ways are mysterious. God's ways, as Isaiah puts it in the Old Testament, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So the way that I think about dealing with crisis and trauma and pain and complexity might be different than the way that God deals with it. To put it another way, my plans or thoughts of how to navigate a crisis will be lower than or lesser than God's thoughts and ways of handling the same crisis. And so one of the things I want to look at this morning with you 
is this idea that because we will never surrender, even to God, without a fight, that sometimes God uses silence to compel us to fight so that we can choose to surrender. Because silence forces a choice. It forces a choice on whether I'm going to give up on God and go my own way or whether I'm going to surrender to him and trust him, even as the one who is silent when he could be speaking. And what a difficult choice that is. Again, imagine that. When God is silent in the midst of injustice, pain, and suffering, we're forced to make a decision. Because he's silent, am I going to go my own way, or am I going to surrender to him, even the one who will not and may not speak and answer all the why questions that I have. And so this morning I want to look at that with you. I want to share a story with you and then look in a passage of scripture and then ask a couple questions that may help you kind of get handles at the end about how to handle the silence of God in your own life around this season. So I've been reading a great book. I think I've told you about it before. It's called The Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. And they tell a great story in here about a fellow who attended one of Dan's um, seminars. And here's how I'm just going to read it to you because I think it's the best way to share this story. And uh, Dan Allender is writing this section. He says, A good friend attended one of my sexual abuse seminars, and the material provoked a strong reaction in him, and he felt compelled to take a walk around the church parking lot. Well, he decided to sit down on a pylon, and he was struggling with the question, Where are you, God, and why don't you seem to do more for those who have been betrayed and violated? He was also battling with loneliness. He wanted God to engage him, to comfort him, and draw him into his love. You ever been there? And as he sat there, he noticed a small bird only a few feet away. And he thought to himself with good humor and slight cynicism, I wonder, is this bird perhaps an agent of God sent to encourage my heart? And he recalled Dr. Doolittle speaking to the animals. And he thought about Elijah being nourished by the birds, and he looked away. And then a moment later... He noticed that the bird was moving slowly toward him, and to his utter astonishment, it hopped into his hand. He was stunned. He felt oddly alive, as if he were in the presence of an act of God. In an instant, he blinked, and the bird defecated on his hand and then flew away. It left a large splotch of whitish liquid all over his hand. At that very moment, he recalled, he felt as if his other hand was suddenly caught on fire. He looked at it and he saw it was covered by a mass of red ants. In pain, he began wiping away the ants with his free hand, and after knocking most of the ants off himself, he noticed that his hand was swollen, his shirt was now covered with bird excrement, and his body was wet with sweat. He sat there on the pylon, stupefied. He had longed for God's comfort. But what he had just experienced felt like an assault of nature orchestrated by God. What gives, he wondered. He sat there for a time and then began to laugh. I laughed less at the event, he later told me, and more at the irony of how God dealt with my demands. I thought I wanted comfort. What I really wanted, however, was not so much his comfort, but his acknowledgement that I am a little boy who needs to be taken care of, not a man who has the courage to face life. Thankfully, God responded to what I deeply desire, to be respected and honored, rather than to what I thought I wanted, 
in an odd sense, I felt invigorated to move back into life. What a story. And I think what a profound story that somehow God in his silence and dealing with us actually gives us the very thing that we desire the most to be treated with an honor and dignity, not to have our little wishes granted, but to be met deep within our soul at the deep desire level, which is a difficult place to engage. And sometimes the only way that we can get to that place, to surrender that place to God, is if he allows this silence to make us fight with him, to want an answer, to demand something from him. And this is exactly the spot that this man was in, and this is the spot that the nation of Israel was in as well. See, in the Old Testament, in the, the middle of the Old Testament, there's a book called the Psalms, and the Psalms are a collection of poems and songs. And one of the Psalms, Psalm 44, is where I want to go this morning. Psalm 44 is a, a, na a national lament psalm. What that means is the nation of Israel would use this psalm as almost a cry out to God to share their collective soul, to bear their soul to God at a time, and we don't know exactly when in their history this was, but it was a time when they were undergoing some great injustice. In fact, what they were undergoing is that they were um, being dominated militarily. They were losing battles. They were losing some of their neighbors to slavery. Their, their reputation was getting tarnished. And the problem was, they didn't feel like they were disobeying God. In fact, they felt like they were being obedient to Him. They felt like their heart was in the right place, and yet everything seemed to be going wrong around them. Through no fault of their own, as they saw it, things went really south really quick. And then the problem was, God didn't seem to care. He at least didn't seem to be aware and certainly didn't give them any direction. And so I want to pick up Psalm 44. I'm going to begin in verse 17 and read through to the end. But the opening part of the psalm gives you an idea of what happened. I summarized it there for you. But Psalm 44, 17, as we read that psalm, here's what it says from verse 17 on. All this came upon us, that we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. You feel the pain of what they're saying there? Like We hadn't forgotten you. We had a covenant with you. We didn't even betray that covenant. We have been honest with you. We've done the things that you have wanted us to do. Our hearts were in the right place. Verse 20. If we had forgotten the name of our God or... Maybe if we didn't just forget, or if we had spread out our hands to a foreign God, like if we worshipped someone else, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? I mean, it would have made sense, God, if we would have betrayed you, but, but we didn't. And look at verse 22. They say, yet for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You see what they're saying there, the weight of what they're saying? So we face death all day long for your sake. What they're saying is it's almost like they're being marched up to the executioner and the executioner is saying to them, are you willing to recant of your faith in God? And they're saying, no, like this is how strong we hold our faith, God. Even in the face of death, we will face death for your sake all day long. But even under that, you still seem to be silent. We don't think we're doing 
anything wrong. This is just happening to us. And so they're feeling this abandonment, this silence, this lack of God's presence, wondering where he is in the midst of great pain and struggle for them. And so they call out to him. This is such a, such a powerful place for them to be. Verse 23, listen to, to the desire within them. They, they say this, verse 23, Awake, Lord, as if he's sleeping. Awake, Lord. Why do you, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We're brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, they say. You feel the weight of that? I mean, they're just saying, God, can you please wake up? You're rejecting us with your silence. Can you please come help us? We are being brought down. How much lower can we get than our bodies to the ground, to the dust? Would you please, would you please rise up and help us? We don't even know why we're here. We don't know why you're silent. Would you please rise up and help us? This is the challenge. This is the decision that silence forces. It forces us to decide if we're going to abandon God and go our own way, or if we're going to surrender to God and trust him even in the middle of his silence. Those are two hard choices. The psalm actually ends with a phrase I didn't yet read. It's a very important phrase. Look at it at the end of verse 26. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Do you see what they're saying there? They're making an appeal at the end. They're saying, God, we think, we think there's something here. We think that your unfailing love is still true, and we are appealing to you on that basis. What that means to me is they are not making the decision to walk away, to abandon God. They are making the decision to surrender to God and his will, even though this psalm ends without him speaking. They're making the decision to pour out their heart, to engage him, to talk about their pain and the abandonment and the struggle they feel, and they're doing it by saying, we're appealing to this part of you, God, to your unfailing love. And because of that, we want you to act. Would you rise up? Would you help us? Would you deliver us? Would you engage with us, please? Silence and waiting reveals for us and for all of us, it reveals some assumptions that we have. I know for me it does. When I think about God being silent, um, it reveals an assumption in my own life that I, I assume that there's a certain amount of time that can pass that's okay for God to be silent, but then after a certain time, I reach an expiration date. It's like, it's been at least a couple weeks, it's been a couple months, God, maybe even been a couple years, You've been silent. I've been patient for a long time, but I have an assumption that my circumstances will change because you're a present God. That's an assumption I have. It reveals, the silence of God reveals that I assume that God's presence in my life is going to change my circumstances for the better. But sometimes, sometimes those circumstances simply don't change. And this is, we have record of in the Bible. For some, sometimes for generations, the external circumstances do not change. The nation of Israel was in captivity for generations. 
people lived and died without ever being in the nation in, in, in Jerusalem. They were in captivity. That people lived and died without ever seeing God deliver them the way that they would have hoped. The silence of God is deafening. And it appeals to us. This silence appeals to us to say, please, in the middle of your fight, you're never going to surrender. You're never going to surrender to God without a fight. You're, you know this. You're never going to surrender to anybody without a fight. Not truly. Without a fight of your own will to say, I do want things my way, but in order to surrender to you, I'm going to have to fight through my own will and give to you the best that I have. And God knows this. And so the silence of God engages us there in a surprising way, invites us to consider him even when he is silent to us. So I have a couple questions for us this morning to think about in a very practical way. First of all is this, am I patient with patience? <laughs> that may sound funny, but the other, another way to ask this question is how patient am I willing to be? In other words, if God's ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, is it possible that the timing of his voice, the timing of his engagement in my world is going to be different than my timing? So before I rush past the silence of God in my pain and my struggle, might there be value in waiting? Might there be value in considering patience before you choose to leave God because he doesn't deliver in the time that you want? Might there be value in thinking about the silence of God and how he might be wanting to engage us? Second question is this, what do I really want? What do I really want in this space? You know, just this year we um, got our taxes done by uh, our accounting firm that we've used for a couple of years now, and they made a pretty big mistake. Uh, they at first told us we were getting a return, and then um, later on after we checked over the taxes ourselves, we found a mistake that they had made that they didn't find, and the truth is we actually owe a significant amount of money this year. And that came as both a surprise and um, made, made us angry, made me angry, uh, to be honest with you. And I, I had to ask the question in my anger, like, what do I really want here? What do I want? Do I want to just lash out at my accountant? Do I, do I want that? Is that what I want? Do I want them to give me my money back for their tax preparation services? Is that what I want? Do I want to just call them and tell them I'm leaving to go to another firm? What do I really want? in this space. And that's the question that was helpful to me as I think through my anger on this. And I would encourage you to think through that same question for where you're at right now. You, you're missing some things because of this pandemic. Your business has changed. Your model has changed. Your school graduation and um, your plans for visiting colleges in the fall, your time with your grandparents, your time with your loved ones in nursing homes, all of that has changed. I'm just going to ask you, what do you really, what do you really want? What do you really want from God right now? Be honest with that. The nation of Israel in Psalm 44, we see what they wanted. They wanted. They wanted to know if God loved them. They wanted to know if he loved them. And that was their appeal. On the basis of your unfailing love, God, we want to know, do you love us? Do you love us? I don't know. What do you want? Do you want to know if God is present? Do you want to know if God sees you? Do you want to know if God cares? Do you want to know if he's present? Do you want to know if he's going to heal somebody whom you love? Do you want to know if he's going to deliver change into your life? Do you want to know if he's going to heal relationships? What is it that you really want God to do? What is it that you really want from him? I want to encourage you in the silence to ask the question, what do I really want right here? What do I really want? I want to encourage you to ask a third question. 
And that is this, is my next step backward or forward? Is my next step backward or forward? In the silence and the lack of hearing from God, is my next step backward or forward? What, what do I mean by that? Let me tell you this story. It was just a few years ago that I had to, a chance to re-engage a friend of mine from uh, maybe 25 years ago. And um, around that time, I was the director of the factory uh, ministries right when it was a just developing as a ministry, part-time. I was the only part-time staff member. It was just beginning to grow. And um, one of the students who I engaged with then later on in life, several years later, I, I re-engaged with him, was talking with him one day. And he was recounting to me the morning when he woke up as a, um, as a middle school student. He walked downstairs um, and his mom was gone. And she left a note saying that she was leaving the family and here's breakfast and hope your day at school goes well. And as he talked about the pain that that, um, that, that put on him, the loneliness, the abandonment that he felt as a, as a young middle school student, I could feel it in his voice, I could sense it in his presence. And now as a young adult, as he was engaging the world that he was in, he knew it as well as I did, that the things that he had done from that point on were all a step backward. He had taken a step back. He wanted to escape. He wanted to get away from the weight of the loneliness and the silence of not having mom around. And what a betrayal and abandonment it felt like when your mom leaves you with no warning, some morning. And what he had done is he had busied himself with the skills and the tools of his trade. He was, he's great at what he does and working with his hands and he kept busy, but he never allowed himself to slow down and he knew it. And I talked to him directly about that and I said, hey, listen, when do you think we're going to be able to engage what God wants to teach you through this time? Because it seems like your activities are just keeping you busy, but they're not allowing you to slow down and listen to what God might be teaching you. And he said, I know what I'm doing. I know that I'm trying to fill the space that I have in my life with activities so I don't have to address it. Because it is a painful decision to have to, to stop and say, when God is silent, when God is silent, am I going to come back to the one who is silent and re-engage him with my pain? Or is it better if I just take a step backward rather than a step forward? That step forward can be such a big step and such a hard step. I know it can be. But I want to encourage you to take a step forward. Now, some of you may need to take a step backward. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times I need to take a step backward to process my own pain and hurt. And sometimes my step backward is an appropriate step. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, in the best case scenario, it's a step back in order to step forward. It's a step back for space and healing and processing so that I can think and have um, some capacity to engage the pain and struggle that I'm in. But I want to encourage you, is your next step going to be a step backward away from engaging God or can it be a step forward toward engaging God? Okay. Finally, I want to encourage you this way. Please don't surrender without a fight. Please don't surrender without a fight. I don't want you to engage in a relationship with God which is perfunctory, which is surface level, which is just giving to God what people expect you to give. Like, I'm just going to give to God the best that I can from a, 
uh, lip service level. I'm just going to kind of give to him, um, you know, a couple hours a week. I'm going to give to him my, you know, my, my language and my general decisions, but I'm not really surrendered. Like deep within my soul, I'm not really like in, in the sense that I really believe that God is with me, that God cares and that he redeems. Like I'm not really that far in. I haven't really surrendered to that level because there's honestly too much pain and struggle. God is silent when he could be speaking. He's not here. These moments where God is silent in the middle of a pandemic, for goodness sakes, these silent moments are God's mysterious way of provoking us, challenging us, and saying, come, engage with me, fight with me on this issue, just like in Psalm 44, to say, God, I see no reason why a mom would abandon a junior high boy. I see no reason why we're losing battles militarily and people are being taken as slaves. We haven't done anything to disobey you. I see no reason why my future semesters and my plans for the business need to fail. I haven't disobeyed you. I haven't done anything wrong. I see no reason why this is here. And we know that it is going to be a struggle to take a step forward to fight with God on this issue. And his silence provokes us. We don't surrender without a fight. And so I want to encourage you, don't give up the fight, please. Don't give up the fight. You don't know, and I don't know, you don't know, what is at stake if you give up too early. You don't know how your heart will really be changed. You don't know who you will impact in the future. You do not know how your character is going to be shaped and how the faith will be passed on to the next generation. If you give up the fight and take a step back, and don't surrender. Don't engage in the surrender to God. God, in the most mysterious of ways, in the most beautiful and mysterious of ways, uses silence to provoke us and challenge us to engage some of the hardest parts of our life so that we can surrender to him. But we will never surrender, truly surrender, without a fight, without a fight for what is right and what is good. And so as we wrap up this series and we still live in this pandemic times, I know some of you are ready to fight, but maybe we're ready to fight for the wrong reasons and fight the wrong things. I want to encourage you in your own heart to fight the battle of surrender for God. Fight the battle of surrender to God. To engage him on asking the questions, God, what do I really want from you? Why are you silent when you could be speaking? And do like the Israelites did. When you look at this moment, instead of choosing to walk away from God and who he is, to look right at him. And even in his silence, as infuriating as it is, say, God, this is what I long for you to do. I long for you to awake. I long for you to rise up. I long for you to save me. I long for you to act on your unfailing love. And teach me what I need to know while I wait for you, your ways and your thoughts that are higher than mine. What a gift it is that God gives us what we really need, not just what we want, that he treats us not as children, but as grown men and women who can engage with him and wrestle with him. So as we wrap up this series and wrap up this time, I want to encourage you to fight with God, to complain to him, to engage him, let the silence of God provoke your heart 
to hope again in the character of God who loves you and knows you and wants to fight with you for the condition of your soul. As I hope this series on Disrupted has been a help and encouragement and a challenge to you. I love you guys. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning in this series to think again about this idea of silence and how in such a mysterious way you work through it. And I pray that you would help us not give up when you're silent, but help us to engage even the hardest, darkest parts of our own hearts and souls. That we can be people, men and women, young men and young women, who when we know that you're silent, don't step back and step away, but that we step in. We step toward you. And we honestly engage you with passion, with conviction, with love, with joy, with pain, that we can see you and know you as our loving Heavenly Father, the one who guides us and leads us into life everlasting. I pray you give us courage to do what we need to do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.